back to another edition of the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Archdiocese of Washington at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell. Once again, joined by Father Larry Swing. Hey, Bill. And Father Jack Berard. How's it going, Bill? Great. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into what the church says about end-of-life issues. Great. Okay, thanks, Bill. And uh, here with Father Jack. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think you know, we get telephone calls about, I would say probably once a month is you'll get a phone call as a priest and people will say, look, Hey, mom's on a ventilator. Um, you know, she's dying. What do I do? Um, you know, the, there, I have to write a, uh, a will and, uh, my mother and my father wants a DNR, do not resuscitate. Um, you know, uh, someone's taking, you know, maybe as, um, you know, kidney problems or you know, has to do dialysis or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, they can't, it's, it's starting to hurt them. Do I have to continue this treatment? So we're going to look at, you know, what is the church's teaching on end of life issues and maybe unpack some of these, these, uh, these situations. Cause I think all of us are going to find ourselves in the situation where a loved one will be dying and you're not going to know what to do, but that's why the church clarifies and, and teaches us, you know, um, principles that we can follow, obviously. Um, so Jack, let's start, Father Jack, let's start off this conversation here. And, uh, you've, you've done a little bit of research and study on this, on this particular topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, what would be, let's, let's throw out some scenarios out there that you find that trouble people and where we can clarify end of life issues. I think too, we have to clarify the difference between letting someone naturally die versus euthanasia, which is a sin. (laughs) Right. So like there are, there is, there is a, a movement, I think in society, even, in the state of Maryland to um, legalize um, euthanasia. I think we should also explain why that's wrong. And, uh, but also that the church has, you know, compassion for those who are dying. And we don't want people to die in very painful deaths. And there, there are ways that are, that are in line with God's teachings to do so. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think even before starting with that, uh, with some of the scenarios is even just recognizing the fact that like euthanasia is kind of a nice term, right? Relatively speaking to like what it really is. Right. Because like, if you look back at the history of like where people who, you know, proponents of euthanasia start with, it's, it's a right to die. Right. Like, and that sounds right. a lot harder to, to deal with and it comes, kind of comes spawns out of a eugenics movement, but it's, it's more about like, Oh, I want the choice to do it. Right. right. Like this is, this is a, right. uh, a deeper problem than just, you know, whether a person should be alive or not, you know, in old age, this is, I want to have complete control over every aspect of my life and death. And, there is something there that even before right. in the scenarios of like there, this is a real, not just physical problem, physical moral question, but truly, uh, you know, an an external sign of a spiritual crisis in our country and in, right. our, in our church that, you know, do are we really in control or not, and should we strive to be? Because so many times it's tied to pain, mm-hmm. right, right, and I I think yeah, that, I mean that makes a point, but and I think if I'm Correct me if I'm wrong, Father Jack, but the word euthanasia means mercy killing, right? Yeah. I mean, that literally means it sounds nice. I mean, it sounds like a nice word. And, um, you know, two cases come to mind. One, I think everyone's uh, familiar with in Florida was Terry Shavo. Mm-hmm. That happened, I think, you know, years ago. And that was a that was really a famous case that put this issue, you know, in the forefront, especially in the media. And, you know, remember the situation with that woman is she was in a permanent vegetative state. She was living. She wasn't dying. And her husband uh, took her off. um, You know, she was taking food intravenously. Mm -hmm. 
And the church, basically the, the church in Florida, the bishop said that you can't do this because they, they actually went to Rome with this. And Rome said, no, that this is an ordinary means of care. And then they omitted the care and she died because of that. Yeah. Now, that would be an, that would be an, a situation where I think, I mean, if you look deeper into the, the, into the problem, like it, uh, the husband was in an affair at the time when it happened. There so was that. There, there was ulterior motives here. Yeah. And, when, and, and But at the same time, like she wasn't dying. And she and and I think one one point is that there's the the difference between we have to provide ordinary care for people, and um, I'm I'm looking at the uh, compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church number four seventy one, and it says what medical procedures are permitted when death is considered imminent, and it says it just is one one small little paragraph when death is considered imminent the ordinary care owed to a sick person cannot be legitimately interrupted. However, it is legitimate to use painkillers which do not aim at the death or refuse overzealous treatment. Okay. So I guess in that particular case, she, he took away ordinary care, which was food and water intravenously. And she died because that, that would be an example of euthanasia. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think one of the things that kind of comes out is, is, how, how does the person actually die, right? Nobody dies from being unconscious is, is kind of the, the right. way we look at it. It's, it's Terry Schiavo died because she was starved to death and literally thirsted until her body gave up, right? right? Like at the end of the day, like that's a torturous act. You know? It is. And, and it, it sounds nice to say, oh, we just removed artificial nutrition and hydration, right? Like that's the very medical term for it. But it's like, yeah, but the reality was she starved to death and you just watched in her bedroom and she couldn't cry out. Sure, but right. that's what happened to her body. Um, that's not a <laughs> right. Not, that's not nice. That's and it not really nice. was not mercy killing not at all. all. And it, and I think that's the the point to be made. And then the other the other famous case. And obviously, we're going to go back to what we should do. You know, and obviously, what what are things we have to provide? And what and there are there are extraordinary measures a person doesn't have to go through to keep a person alive as long as possible either. Yeah. On the flip side, but what was the case out in the in the West? Yeah. Yeah, it was like about five years ago, six years ago, the Brittany Maynard case, yep. right? And she had she had brain cancer, and and I think if I remember, I mean, it was it was probably stage four. It was, but she was still in good health. She was right? newly married. Yeah. She, I think, it was right after she got married, found that she had this tumor, yeah. and then she came up with this this idea to go out to Oregon, where it's legal mm-hmm. to kill kill yourself, to euthanasia, as indeed legal, and she was with the uh, her husband was behind this a hundred percent where when she felt the suffering could no longer, she couldn't take it anymore. She was still relatively healthy. They surrounded her bed and she took, basically took um, a medicine that was poison and killed herself. Mm-hmm. And, and it was interesting when you saw the commercials for this and all, I mean, the news was all over. It's all oh, so beautiful. And uh, oddly enough, I think she died on all souls day. <laughs> it was just like, oh. you know, I prayed for her soul when it happened. Cause I was really, I mean, I really was, was, scared for her because of her eternal destiny. I mean, obviously we, we leave that to the Lord, but I think that's one of the, I think there's a couple of things that come up is we as a culture also don't see the beauty of the dying process as a way of preparing the soul for, to, to see God. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe in God, then, then why would I suffer is I guess one thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think on the flip side is, we as a church also don't want the person to unnecessarily suffer when not needed. So let's, let's kind of maybe change the venue a little bit and, uh, 
and I think first we just, we just make the point that euthanasia is when you purposely kill a person to eliminate their suffering, but the act does it. It's not the disease that kills it, correct? Right, right. And and just to add that it is both active and passive, right? Right. So the active case would be the Brittany Maynard yep. to take the cocktail of pills, or and then the passive one would be the Terry Schiavo, although she didn't kill herself, but it's the, the same principle of it's, it's removing the basic care. Ordinary care. Ordinary care, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. So uh, let's say, for instance, I mean, so I, I guess another thing which is probably very common is let's say you know, one of our aunts, you know, is, has got, you know, dying of, of some kind of cancer and she's on a, or, or let's say on a breathing machine for some kind of illness. Mm-hmm. And the only thing keeping her alive is this machine, right? Um, the church would say that would be an extraordinary care, correct? Well, and well, I guess that's, that's kind of one of the, that's actually one of the biggest debates I would argue in, in, right. in moral theology is, is, is that enough, right? Because you would have some very, big proponents of saying that this that's you know it's often referred to as brain death right so sh- the, the organs are still functioning the body is still um consuming food and water as long as it's given okay. uh with just this one mechanical process of ventilator or even several um the person everything's moving right and and the um but there's no external stimuli right that work to to kind of make the person respond in any way, the eyes don't dilate. The um, you put like a little what are the little salt bags that you see like hockey players use like underneath their nose. They're not going to move. You know, there's no reaction. Like it seems like the the brainstem is just kind of severed or whatever. And uh, it, some people would say that actually the person's still alive even though there is this mechanism. Mm. And so I I disagree with this. Now this is my personal opinion and and less so the church teaching, but that that it is like that that would still be ordinary care depending on your situation. So is it is it simple to get a ventilator in America? Less so maybe right now than it has been, but it is pretty ordinary for a hospital to have a ventilator. Now, if you're in, you know, <laughs> Africa and certain countries and certain villages, like, no, that's extreme right. care to have to, to fly somebody in to get that. So now it becomes a right a less ordinary care. What the church is allowing as of right now, and I think it's still a partially open question, is are those neurological data, is that enough to say a person has died and that they can remove the ventilator? I'd say, and I and a lot of people uh, would back me up, I think including St. John Paul II, would say that that's acceptable to, to remove a ventilator uh, in this quote-unquote brain death, under I would say under certain circumstances. So you really have to use the virtue of prudence. Absolutely. And I think one, if you look at all the documents of the church uh, and things have come out, even the uh, bishops of um, Maryland uh, came out with a document on, on um, sort of the death and dying process and how to approach these issues, use the word prudence all over the document. And uh, because it's not the same for every single case, it depends on the age of the person. What's their situation? Is there hope that they can recover um, you know, it's, I mean, it would be, it would be a big difference if someone's on a breathing machine at the age of 94 versus 36, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, sort of, uh, there's a, cri- there's a, there's situations that have to be considered in each case. Correct. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it says here, I found this, I found an article. It says, when may medical therapies, procedures, equipment, and the like be withheld or withdrawn from a patient and the catechism of the Catholic church, they quote the catechism. It's two, two, seven, eight. 
It says, discontinuing medical procedures that are burdensome, dangerous, extraordinary, or disproportionate to the expected outcome can be legitimate. Now, notice it's, it doesn't really say definitively in all cases. It can be legitimate. Um, it is the refusal of quote-unquote overzealous treatment. Here, one does not will to cause death. One's inability to impede it is merely accepted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I have, a, I mean, in my, my own family, my grandmother, uh, my mom's side, she died when she was 85 and she had breast cancer. Now, of itself, it was, it was debatably treatable. It was a third time having cancer at 85 years old. She had lived a great life. She had outlived three of her husbands. Like, and, and it kind of got to the point where she just said, she was married three times. She's married three times <laughs> all, all in the church. It was pretty amazing. Um, and she's an energizer bunny. <laughs> I know. I know. She, yeah. And so, but yeah, she, she sat there and, and, and this is not a, like a, it wasn't on a whim. She was good friends with a, with a priest. She went to daily mass. She prayed all these things. And it was, you know, um, and she just said, no, like, I, I, I think I'm good this time. You know, this is an right. acceptance of, of what came before. Now, to be fair, she was probably a little nuts. She actually, before she died, tried to uh, reserve a hall for her funeral reception. So, like, there's probably a little bit something off. But to be fair, she was right. So I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> she knew. Um, she knew. Um, well, she, oddly enough, people do do kind of know. I mean, yeah. uh, I just, I did um, I did a funeral recently. I think it was, it's been maybe over, maybe a month now, maybe a little bit more than a month now of uh, a woman that was on my pilgrimage in in Italy and um I get a call from the daughter and she she uh, went through some kind of treatment and uh, but she just told her daughter I'm dying mm. and um and I, and I talked on the phone like oh you're not you know you're okay and then you know father I am and, and she was right I mean she knew and she says I want to receive the sacraments and there was just something internally just says I'm really sick and I, I I just feel like I'm dying, you know. And there was this, there was sort of like a, a decision to be made, you know. Does she go through this really extreme treatment? And the doctors were basically told her that it really wouldn't, I mean, it really wouldn't do a lot of good, right. um, you know. It's, they were just like, you know, I mean, this this would probably buy her a couple months if that, but it's gonna be extremely painful. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that kind of helped her with the decision. She was at peace with it. She's like, I'm ready to see the Lord. And it was, it was kind of beautiful. But I think too, some people think maybe wrongly that the church teaches that we have to do everything possible to keep the person alive as long as possible, which is not the teaching of the church. What happens when a person father fathers, um, let's say they're not 84, they're 50 some, right? You know, what does the church say about one's moral obligation? Say you're still raising your kids. Right. You have, you, you've been presented with this diagnosis that in and of itself is dire. And it's your decision not to go, not to seek treatment. What would the church say? It's a great question, Bill. You know, I, I mean, so let's take, let's take, let's kind of narrow it down to a situation. Let's say, um, you know, let's say I wasn't feeling well. I went to the doctor and, you know, 44, and they're like, you know, the doctor says, hey, you've got, you know, un- unbeknownst to you, you have stage four cancer. And I'm like, whoa, I know it feel too well. Now, the question would be, or let's say stage three and a half, you know, like, let's say, let's say it's like, it's getting bad, it's turning the corner. Let's say stage four. I mean, it just was undetected. I, I from what I understand on this is that, you know, it, it really, it comes, there's certain principles that have to be applied. The first is, and part of it is you have to rely on science a little bit to say, well, what are the chances if I, so the question is, would I have to take chemotherapy? 
would I have to go through all that? And it, which is a very painful process, uh, from what I understand, it's not the, it's not the, but if you're healthy, it's not as painful, right. As it would be for someone who's elderly. I think it was, what is the success rate? Um, and is, I think I'd probably would have to take the shot of going through the chemotherapy being that, you know, but I don't think I'd have to, would I? I would say no. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't think that there is any moral obligation to to do it. Now, to undergo a, 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 any kind of treatment, really. Um, Could I just accept the fact I have cancer and just die? I think you absolutely can. Now, the, I think the, the, what the church, I think, is careful about, and there's actually a really cool CDF document about, about this exact issue, and they, they say it would be really imprudent to make the heroic way the normal way. Right, so for the church to say, you know, you you have to undergo all of the, you know, one way or the other, you have to undergo every treatment until you uh, exhaust every possible scenario, right. or to say, no, you just have to take your sufferings and and, and go know, with it, go with it, right? But there is, that's where prudence is. Is that what are the principles that we can definitely delineate to say, all right, I'm going to make the right choice, in in a right virtuous choice, you know, so the you know, 45-year-old man who still ha- still has a good chance of recovery and, pr- and providing, whether it's f- spiritual or physical needs for his children, like, there's, there's a better reason to fight than for the 85-year-old, right? right. And, and I think that's kind of just a principle of, like, there, for- proportionality says you're not living for yourself. Right. Right? And I had, a, I had a friend that went through that. I mean, he was, he was at the exact same, I mean, he was about 50, Bill, and... Um, he was from Bowie and um, he was on several of my men's retreat and he came with this really crazy cancer. I mean, just uh, ate his body up and, but he, he had several, I think he had four to five kids at home. And so he went through the, I mean, it didn't, I mean, all it's he got killed from it, but he tried really hard. And, but I think there came a point where I was like, this is not working. Like, you know, like, I mean, I think in both ways it would have been heroic, but I think he did what he could for his kids and he didn't want to give up. But at the same time, it got to a point where he just told his wife, he's like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I just can't take it. And I think that's totally legitimate because the church, uh, you know, and I mean, when we say the church, I mean, our Lord and through the scriptures and, and also through the teaching of the church uh, teaches us that, you know, that we're all going to die and yet the death has to be of a natural cause. I mean, I mean, in essence, right? I mean, that, we um that the lord also decides when we when we pass too that he's the the arbiter of life yeah yeah absolutely and that's it it, it's not just arbiter i mean right it's he's the master of life right like there's there's that is the foundation of anything else we're gonna say is that like god's in charge right like he he brought us into the world he's taken us out uh like it or not and so that doesn't mean we um we don't do things right like i mean you're, you're walking down the path and there's a bear in it. Like you don't just keep walking towards it, right? Like you figure out <laughs> anything else to do, right? Like in, in an illness, it's not, we don't, you don't have to be stupid about it. You just have to look at what, what are the options, you know? Um, and I think that is, that's just part of our common sense. And uh, right. What about um, another issue that came to, comes up, I think is it says in this paragraph is that, however, it is legitimate to use painkillers, which do not aim in death. Okay, and I think the we're talking about palliative care. And I remember there was a situation my sister uh, once called me, and she was all worried um, because you know she worked. You know, I think it was in the uh, ICU, and uh, you know people had really terrible sort of you know not everyone, but you know 
a lot of people were dying. And um, so the question was, she was afraid that if I give this morphine or this, you know, these, this painkiller, this person, it could speed up the death. Would I be guilty of killing this person? You know? And she's like, I don't want that on my soul. And she was like in <laughs> tears. I'm like, I was like, I was like, Elizabeth, you'll be okay. And, I, and I, so I, I explained to her that there, there is, there is an interesting um, uh, theological principle here with palliative care, and especially painkillers is that, that you could, if someone needed painkillers to help them um, when they're in extreme suffering towards the end of life, it can be it be given to the person, and it can have a double effect. Yeah. And the double effect would and it be it does. It does. I mean, it just does. I mean, it's like you give someone morphine; it could it would it could possibly it likely will speed up their death, but they're not dying from the painkillers; they're dying from they're dying from a disease. Mm-hmm. But it's it's permissible, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't. Like you don't have to suffer to the to the full to the extreme is, to the, to the extreme. extreme. Yeah, but there is a little caveat where you can't just like shoot. Sh- I mean, shoot them up. Sorry to be so crass about it, but like with the, I mean, the, the poison. But like, there's just the right amount, the prudential amount where okay, we're alleviating the suffering, and they're still, you know what I mean. I, I guess yeah. is that how? I mean, how do you dif- how do you make that decision? I mean, and I think I think that's, I mean, in part it's. A knowledge you have to have some sort of knowledge of science or or probably more realistically a, a trust in the provider that you have right like you have to be able to say am i because because there is a difference in in the way the person dies in this moment right that that it is either okay so let's use a more a quicker example of death right so the soldier on the field right is shot shot in the chest he's he's starting to bleed out the medic is there one one shot of morphine you know, you see like, I think of like Band of Brothers, right? right. And there's like that great scene, Morphine, right? Yeah, yeah. Mo- yeah, yeah. And he like, he does the first one and it's like, okay, now what? Like, and then they, they do a second one and they all look at each other right before the second one because they know what's going to happen. Like they know that he's, he's just not going to have the strength to fight. But he's also, he didn't die from the morphine. He yeah. died from being shot in the chest, you right, know? And, exactly. and that's how we have to look at even these, these prolonged illnesses is like, well, wait a second. Like Brittany Maynard, Maynard, for example, didn't die from brain cancer. She died from the cocktail she took. Exactly. Right? The, the sister is providing a, a, an alleviation of suffering, which is a Christian virtue, um, <laughs> that um, didn't kill the person. Just didn't. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I think it's important. Because I think, okay, so going back to the decision of someone like a Brittany Maynard, right, who actively chose the euthanasia, actively chose the, the mercy killing, the um, the pr- the reason for that is a fear, right? Right, and that's that's what underlies it, right? Is there's a fear of fu- of the future, which isn't there's there's no ability to accept the suffering. There's no right. there's no ability to unite your will to God's in that moment, right. right? And that that becomes part of of uh the discussion as well. It's right. like, <laughs> and then you got the Padre Pios out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was in. San Giovanni Rotundo, and they were, they were basically, I mean, they did some major surgeries. He would not take painkillers. <laughs> I mean, that guy was a warrior, you know, like, yeah. I mean, no palliative care for this guy, you know, <laughs> anyway, but he would always take, you know, he'd always take like the, the most horrific pain for the salvation of souls, you know, but I get the point is that the church doesn't expect everyone to take that, that route. Right. Um, great. What about, I mean, another, another issue I think that comes up, Father Jack, is the whole issue of uh, do not resuscitate. Uh, the DNR. Um, is there any sort of guidelines that the church has about this particular issue? Because I, I get this question a lot, and 
can you shed some light on maybe some of the issues there? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there's there's a legitimacy for sure to to be in our order, but I think it needs to just we need to have the right intention behind it, right? So like, you know, it's it's kind of funny looking back and like where all these a lot of these principles are coming from. Where the problems kind of stem from is is that there was a very practical concern that had nothing to do with human care that under underlied some of this stuff, right? So, right. Um, like, why why are we, why do we have this brain death uh, uh, criteria? Well, because they wanted more beds in the hospital, right? And they wanted and they wanted organ uh, donors, right? Um, so that sounds you know that's like sounds post apocalyptic, but it was explicit in 1968 in Harvard Medical School. So what do you do with that? Um, but it's like one of those deals where you just have to say like, okay, can I give a DNR? Yeah, you can. Um, but there has to be a, a reasonable like principle behind it, which is basically, is there, is there a long life afterwards, right? If, if you have a person who is on a ventilator and, and they code, do you need to, can you, is a DNR acceptable then? I would say, yeah. If your organs right. are failing while a mechanism is forcing your other organ to work, like that's a good sign that maybe the Lord is taking you and you don't need to be keep fighting. Right. Um, things like, but like, you know, should you have a, a DNR for the sake of being an organ donor earlier in life? I don't think that's a legitimate Christian option. I think that's uh, right. That's too. Can you shed a little bit of light on that? So, so basically, what ends up happening is when you when you start looking at, uh, I want to give my organs up, you know, and, and so I'm going to give up my life for that sake, right? Like there was that movie Seven Pounds with Will Smith. You remember that thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was it was like really fun to watch. And then you're like left at the end, you're like, what the heck just happened, right? Because <laughs> I'm not going to, okay, basically he gives out seven pounds of his organs, right? Including like his eyes and stuff, which is, I didn't know that was a thing, but it is. <laughs> and and like, it sounds really nice, right? Like we can kind of like dress it up, like like putting lipstick on the pig and all of a sudden it's good. But, but what ends up happening is we, we're removing our human dignity, which is not something that, is based on our usefulness, but rather something that is given to us because we are made, created, redeemed, and saved by God, right? Like that's where our human dignity comes right, from. Right. And when we give that up for something less than that, we've really failed. Where you know right. that's where we really run into these problems. So we're saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna willingly give up my life so that you know I can give up my heart to somebody who needs it more. Well, wait a second. <laughs> God might want your heart and your and your body. In you, yeah. Because like, he still has work for you to do. Exactly. And it might right. be to suffer, right? And that's right. hard, but... So there's not, there's not this car blanche, like we can just have a DNR just across the board. Right. There has to, there has to be, a, if you're doing it as a Catholic, the, there's certain stipulations to that, right. correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and, and in good conscience, can we override that if it's wrong? Override like, what? A DNR order. Well, that's all, that. That's a more of a legal. It thing. becomes yeah. I think that becomes a legal thing, and right. and I think, I mean, I think in the medical culture that we have now, uh, that that it wouldn't work at all, right? Right. right. And I, I kind of laughed when I was thinking about when we were planning this because I was like, well, we're both sons of doctors, right? And right. it's like, so kind of, I uh, maybe you don't hear it, but I, I remember hearing my dad complaining about um, once Google became a really big thing. Right, that he's like, Everyone's I went to a doctor. Everybody's a doctor, yeah. and and I'm smarter than you because I looked at Google, and it's like, <laughs> hey, that, that's also true with people who talk about the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Um, but but that's yeah, and so like that's kind of like what happens is that there was a shift from the doctor knows what he's doing to this is just another service that you went to too much school to get. I am going to decide my plan of treatment. Well, 
I don't know. I don't know anything, right? Like I, right. I had no idea my, you know, whatever. I, I, I went to the doctor six months ago and I had really low vitamin D, like scary low. I don't even know how you get that. I drink milk. I go out in the sun. I thought I was good, but like, I didn't know that. And then I, so I had to start taking a, a vitamin for it. Right. Well, I would never have done, I couldn't do that except for that the doctor knew to diagnose it. Right. And so like right. things like that, like that's a small problem, all things considered. But Right. Um, right. And I think too, it's, I think too, as like, as a Catholic also is, um, I think what's needed too, in when someone's in the process of dying or death is imminent is, um, sort of convicting them of how they're loved, you know, and that, that, that this is not, that this is not just this fruitless experience that they're, you know, actually, you know, to tell, I mean, even to speak about, I mean, I, I found, and I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience too, where, I mean, even speaking about what's on the other side is sometimes helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, Hey, Hey pal, can we talk a second? And I, and sometimes I'll tell them straight up, you're dying. And they're like, I know. And do you believe in, in heaven? You know, do you believe in the afterlife? Do you believe that God loves you? I mean, these, these are questions that like, and it's amazing how, you know, people that maybe have atheistic t- tendencies or they're not practicing, they become believers really quickly mm-hmm. and they want to believe that, you know? And I think too is, is I think, um, I think this euthanasia culture also comes in a very unloved world where we've made life a commodity and I think older people are probably not even treated as useful anymore. Therefore, let's just move on and get the younger people in there. I, I think there's also a cultural problem. We don't see the, uh, our culture doesn't see the value of, of, of a person is, you know, old. you know what I mean? There's, there's a whole underlying problem with the culture death here too. That's feeding that. Right. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think there's partial, it's a partial failure on the church to really well-defined life, right? Because we, I think sometimes we talk about life issues, and 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 I'm not just talking about obviously abortion and euthanasia, although those are obviously the, probably the two biggest um, book challenges, ends. yeah, yeah, yeah um, that we have. But it's like we talk about it, and we we do like the slogan cult, like way of doing it, right? Like I love babies, yes I do. I love babies. How about you? Like it sounds really good and it chants really well when you're with <laughs> you know twenty thousand teens, but like like what ends up happening is that you don't do well to like actually preach the like this really beautiful deep faith that we have right because then somebody comes up to i'm sure you've gotten it right and they go well well the church likes babies why are they against ivf right uh, we'll do a podcast we'll do that. that one yeah but it's like then i know that's a whole nother issue but it's the same thing here right where it's like well we like life so why don't i why shouldn't i fight for the extension of every second of my grandmother's life right right and it's like well, to be fair, the extension of your grandmother's life is now you've placed her in this room in the back of the hospital that she can't see anybody. She's left alone, and you've removed her from your sight, you know, to, to be able to, to – nobody else can enter into this mystery that is the end of human life, right? And, right. and that's part of the commodification of, of death is that right. we, we remove her from our sight because it's, it's a little challenging. Right. right. We don't want to see it. We don't look at it. Yeah. yeah. I think there is a, and I think our culture has this really problem with, with, de- with sort of a denial of death. And I, I think Father Bob would tell me kind of a sad story when he went to anoint someone and literally he got to the emergency room and they just left. Like, oh, he's here. And they walked, they just left. Mm. And he was like, Whoa, where are you going? And they're like, Yeah, we just want to make sure, you know, we're, we're, we're going home, get some coffee. It was just like, Wow. And he was like really scandalized by it. Like they just didn't want to be there at this moment where you're going to sort of, 
you know, commend this person to the mercy of God and, you know, pray for them. And it's just, it, there was no supernatural juices flowing in that family. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the problems is there's no supernatural juices flowing in our culture today. Yeah. Um, understanding the dignity of suffering, the dig, or, I mean, I'm sorry, I wouldn't, I don't know if that's where the use of words, dignity is. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been, re- I mean, suffering itself has been redeemed. It's redeemed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it has a, it has a useful, well, not a usefulness, but it has a, a purpose now as, as Christians. I, I love this story from uh, a, a monk that I know, and he had this, um, these two brothers who were dying, and they placed them in the infirmary, infirmary wings, and they were across the hall from each other. And the one guy just took his suffering, just was offering it up, was just preparing for death, you know, extra prayer, all that kind of stuff. And the guy across the hall, needed a new heart, you know, which is like half a million dollars or something like that at the time. And, <laughs> you know, monasteries, as much as everyone makes fun of them, like really aren't that rich. And so they couldn't have, they weren't going to put a new heart in this guy. And, and he said, so he had all these people walking through, gave them money and all this stuff. And finally the guy who's suffering well just walks across the hall, opens the door, says, die like a man for crying out loud, and closes the door. <laughs> and I think about that all the time. Die like a man, you know? And it's like, <laughs> under, like just take that the fact that, like, you're not God. And It's like, a, it sounds like a Spartan mother, you yeah, know? Right, like, yeah, a, yeah. like, what is it? The, the, I was reading the ethos of a warrior. Uh, someone let me borrow that book. And, like, the Spartan mothers would say, you know, either come back with that shield or on it, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, die like a man. But, I mean, there's, some, there's something to be said about that. But that's it, is, that, is yeah. that if we if we approach death knowing that there's fear because there is something unseen, right? Like, like there is a faith that we that we proclaim and that we need to, to approach it. But the virtue is courage, is to see this fear and to just say, I'm going at it. You know, I'm not going to avoid I'm not going to be in charge of it. I'm not going to have it all planned out and it's going to be nice and neat. But rather, I'm going to march in as a soldier of Christ, right? Like that is not, it. that is a scriptural way of looking at death is to, to march into it. Right. Um, one, one final thing, Father Jack, and I just thought, I mean, uh, listeners out there, and because we, we brought up this thing about, um, you know, food and water intravenously, which uh, John Paul II in 2004 made it very clear is ordinary care. But even that, is there a point where that is not necessary? I mean, obviously there's some science behind that too, but I think the, the distinction is is that if a person, we should never allow a person to die from dehydration or malnutrition. Yeah. And that is ordinary care, even intravenously, yeah. right, in today's society um, and with today's uh, science, you know, with the, all the stuff we have. But at the same time, there does come a point where the body cannot assimilate that anymore, exactly. and therefore not necessary, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing. You don't, you know, as much as we, you know, you have to, to give what they will take, but you can't hurt somebody, you know, right. to, to, to follow a principle that just seems pretty silly. Right. Um, but, and, you know, there are some really great resources out there to kind of answer a lot of these questions. I think, I mean, I, you know, I think you can find the most on, there's a site called, uh, National Catholic Bioethics Center, and it's based out of Philadelphia, and it's surprisingly easy to, like, get to, like, all the different bioethic questions, so not just end-of-life issues, although... That's where Father Tad is at there. Is that right? Yeah, he's fantastic. He went to Harvard and is a priest. He's fantastic. I've actually used him uh, a couple times where I've gotten a a doozy where I'm like, I don't know the answer to this, and you, you call this hotline. What's it again, Father? National Catholic Bioethics Center. Yeah, and you call the number, and they have priests and theologians, uh, moral theologians on, you know, 
a basically a hotline and they'll answer your question right there. Mm. And if they don't have it, they'll make sure someone gets back to you as soon as possible, especially if you're in a pinch. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's kind of cool. Like they, they, they actually have a bunch of information about COVID-19 right now, which I didn't have a chance to look at, but <laughs> I just kind of laughed cause I was like, they're still working, you know, <laughs> to like right. really look at like, what do we need to do to, to address this stuff? And, um, and they take, they take their, uh, faithfulness to the magisterium very seriously, right? You know, and which is which is nice. <laughs> yeah, well, you need that, especially when you have these tough questions. So, awesome. Thank you, Father Jack. Bill, do you have anything to add? No, I just googled uh, what makes <laughs> a thirty-year-old man be def- vitamin D deficient. Would you like to know what you have? Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. very worried about this. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about that off camera. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Obviously, I was thinking, I, I know, uh, Father Jack, you're game for this, but you know, we brought up the issue of IVF yeah. and vitro fertilization, um, another uh, sort of a controversial issue that people sort of have a struggle with, but maybe we could do one on that. Yeah. You know, and it's just sort of the principles behind it and uh, another sort of, uh, uh, um, I, I love I love bioethics. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. And I think it's, it's stuff that people need to know because, a lot of people are making decisions without informing themselves on what the what the church teaches, and well, and, and, and <clears throat> I think the future is whether I'm not sure you'll have the decision or not. Um, you know, I think more and more you're 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 hit with it at the hospital. You know, whether it be just in some cases a routine surgery, right, um, or um, right away just having done this with a couple relatives over the past ten years and, and having gone through this at. Yeah, I think it's uh, something everyone should know. Know what the church says, right? Awesome, great. So let's uh, finish with a with a prayer and a, a little blessing. Uh, we'll turn to Saint Michael and pray. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And without, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits that prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.